thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, I pray your presence. I pray that you speak and open our ears and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we are wrapping up a series today. We're calling it We Little Man. Uh, we're looking at the story of Zacchaeus. The first week in this series, we looked at Zacchaeus uh, just from the context of the story itself within the story of Zacchaeus. So we looked at the perspective of Zacchaeus, the before and after, the encounter that he had with Jesus and how that turned his life around. And what we did last week is we switched perspectives and we looked at the story of Zacchaeus within the context of all of Scripture. And what we found is Jesus made a reference here to Ezekiel 34 from about 600 years earlier. And Jesus was saying he was the fulfillment of a messianic prophecy from about 600 years prior. Uh, and he says that uh, when he says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a reference back to Ezekiel 34. Uh, and Jesus was declaring that what we see in the story of Zacchaeus uh, is what it looks like for God to seek and to save the lost. Uh, how, how God comes to those who everyone else has given up on and transforms their life. This is what it looks like for God to seek and to save the lost. And today we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus from a third perspective. Uh, we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus from the context of the rest of the Gospel of Luke. So Luke is the only gospel writer to include the story of Zacchaeus. Now the irony in that is he's the only gospel writer who wasn't there when it happened. So Luke wasn't a disciple. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and John were all disciples. They would have most likely been there when this took place. Yet they didn't write about the story in their gospels. Only Luke wrote about the story of Zacchaeus. Now that's not uncommon because John said that Jesus did so much in his ministry on earth that all the books in the world just couldn't hold it. So they kind of had to pick and choose the stories of Christ to include in their gospels. But what we know within the gospels is each gospel writer, they had their own audience that they were writing to specifically, uh, and they had their own areas of emphasis within the gospel, and we can go into that sometime, uh, each of their audiences, but what we're looking at uh, today is we're specifically asking the question, how did the story of Zacchaeus fit into what Luke was emphasizing throughout his gospel? So the fact that it's not included in the other gospels and it is in his, it's not uncommon, but it is telling, and we're gonna look at that today, so let's read one last time in Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So we're, what we're asking this morning 
uh, is, is there a reason that Luke included this story in his gospel while no one else did? And what we're specifically asking is, does Luke emphasize something within this story that the other gospel writers just don't really focus on? So we could look at how the people grumbled and complained that Jesus came to be the guest of a sinner, Zacchaeus. This is something that happened several times within the Gospel of Luke. However, this is not unique to Luke. This is something that Matthew wrote about. It's something that Mark Luke uh, wrote about just about the same amount of times. What we're looking for specifically, is there something Luke focuses on here that none of the other Gospel writers really focus on? And we find that there is a storyline in the story of Zacchaeus that's consistent with the rest of Luke's gospel, but not so much in the other gospels. And we find that in verse 2 of Luke 19. It says, A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, collector and was wealthy. Now Luke points something out here in this story that wasn't necessary for him to point out. It kind of went without saying. If we're talking about a chief tax collector, there's no need to include and was wealthy. That goes with the territory. This was understood, but Luke included it here because this is a vital element in understanding why he included this story. Zacchaeus was wealthy. And this is the answer to our question. Is there anything that Luke is emphasizing in this story? that's consistent with his gospel, but not with the others. It's the topic of wealth, uh, specifically the, top, the topic of the wealthy and the rich. And I'll just show you this quickly. If we hold up the gospel of Luke alongside the other gospels and we ask how many times did they write about wealth and riches, what we find is Matthew mentions wealth and riches six times, Mark mentions wealth and riches six times, and most of them are the same ones that Matthew mentioned. John mentions uh, wealth and riches zero times. It was just never important to his audience in the message that he was trying to get out. On the other hand, Luke talks about wealth and riches 20 times. So it's almost double all of the others combined. It was a constant area of, of emphasis throughout the Gospel of Luke. And I believe there's something taking place within the story of Zacchaeus, specifically regarding how he handled his wealth, that is crucial to the message that Luke is trying to get across. Matthew left it out, Mark left it out, John left it out, but Luke just found this specific story too relevant to his message to leave it out. Now I'm going to give you a quick disclaimer. I don't especially like talking about money. Uh, most pastors don't really like talking about it, uh, but we're talking about it today. And this is not a veiled plea for you to give more. This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We're talking about it because this is where the story of Zacchaeus leads us today. I believe this is a, a central uh, reason that he, he talks about or gives us the story of Zacchaeus, just recognizing God's ability to take a wealthy man uh, who, if you read the, the Gospel of Luke, is someone that almost seems irredeemable and what God can do in the life of an irredeemable wealthy man and turn their life around. So uh, I mentioned wealth and the handling of wealth uh, is a common theme in Luke's Gospel. So what we're going to do is we're going to zoom out for a minute and we're going to look at some of Luke's writings on the topic of wealth and riches. Uh, but there are two things that I want us to keep in mind before we, we move on. The first is this. On a global scale, you are wealthy. 
Okay? I don't know if that's a shock to you, but on a global scale, uh, you are wealthy. There will always be people around you with more money than you have. Uh, but most of us this morning, we woke up and we got out of our comfortable beds and we went to our closet that's full of clothes and we got dressed and we went down to our refrigerator that's full of food and we had breakfast. And then we went outside and some of us chose which vehicle we owned that we wanted to take to church this morning. Now on a global scale, uh, 80%, more than 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day. So let's just go ahead and accept that together. On a global scale, you are wealthy. Now the second thing that I want to keep in mind is that what we're talking today is within the Gospel of Luke, but these aren't Luke's teachings. These are the teachings of Jesus Christ. Luke just happens to place more emphasis on them than the other Gospel writers. So with that said, uh, what we're going to do is look at those teachings within Luke, and the very first teaching in the Gospel of Luke kind of sums up the main attitude towards wealth and riches within the Gospel. We find it in Luke chapter 6. This is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the first time in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus says anything about money, anything about riches, anything about wealth. It occurs in Luke 6, beginning in verse 20. He says, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then he gives the flip side of that in verse 24. He says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. So the very first teaching we have on wealth is a warning against it. The next teaching comes a couple of uh, chapters later in Luke chapter 8, and again, it's in the context of a warning. Uh, beginning in verse 4 of Luke 8, Jesus, uh, or it says, uh, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, Jesus told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was gathering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on. And the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And then when we get to verse 14, he interprets uh, what the thorns are. He says, the seed that fell among the thorns, that which choked out the seed, stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So again, we have another warning that Jesus gives against wealth. But I want you to notice something here, that the warning here is not against wealth itself. It's against uh, uh, the potential of what wealth can do to a person. Because wealth can be a blessing, and wealth from God is intended to be a blessing, but Jesus says it has the ability to choke out your faith, to choke out uh, the, the, the Word of God that's been planted in your heart. And that is really the key in all of this, is there is nothing innately wrong with wealth, but there is a warning tag attached to it that says, watch your heart behind wealth. And we even find that in one of the most often quoted passages on wealth, uh, and also one of the most often misquoted passages on wealth in 1 Timothy, where Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You'll hear this all the time. People will say, money is the root of all evil, but that's not what it says here. It says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
And then what Paul does, uh, if we finish this verse, is he kind of just follows what Jesus had said in the parable. Jesus said that riches or the deceitfulness of riches has the potential to choke out your faith. So let's uh, read the rest of this passage that Paul writes. He says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith. So he's saying exactly like Jesus said in the parable is our desire for riches has the ability, it has the potential to pull us away from the faith. But again, it is not money itself so much as what money can do to a person. And that's really the crux of it all. I mean, if, if we look at Abraham, for instance, the Bible says Abraham was very wealthy. Genesis 13 says he was wealthy in livestock, wealthy in silver, wealthy in gold. He was a wealthy person. But we also remember Abraham for what? As the man who blessed many nations. We can look at Solomon. When Solomon asked for wisdom, God responded by saying, not only will I give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you wealth and honor as well. Proverbs says that the blessings of the Lord bring wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It even goes on to say that wealth is a confirmation of his covenant uh, in this context. So I want you to see here that as a rule, wealth is actually a blessing from God. You have been blessed by God. But wealth comes with a lot of warning labels. And that's almost always how Luke presents the topic of wealth throughout the gospel, as warnings against it. You've got the two passages uh, I read earlier. In Luke 12, Jesus talks about the parable of the rich fool, which we looked at a few weeks ago, uh, the man who, who gained wealth, and all he wanted to do was store it up and build bigger barns, wealth for himself. Jesus is warning against it, but again, it's in the context of the man's heart behind his wealth. And that's also another parable that only shows up in the, the Gospel of Luke. Then you have the parable in uh, Luke 16 of a rich man and Lazarus, another one that only sh shows up in Luke. Uh, and again, it's talking about the heart behind wealth. And Luke is constantly emphasizing Jesus' teachings on wealth and riches. And I don't know if you noticed, but it's seemingly neg uh, never in a positive light. It always seems to be negative. It, it always seems to be warnings. And finally, it seems to culminate uh, in Luke chapter 18. Now, the reason I say that is because up to this point in Luke 18, Jesus has talked about wealth. He has taught on wealth. He's given parables on the subject of wealth. But what we have in Luke 18 is for the first time, it's not a teaching on wealth. It's not a parable on wealth. He finally has an encounter with a man who is known for his wealth. And it doesn't turn out real well. We're going to look at it in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. It says, A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these things I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. 
Then come, follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if we stop Luke's narrative regarding money right there, then this whole morning would be about, hey guys, money is bad. Get rid of all of your money. It's irredeemable. And you might even hear somebody from time to time take this story out of context and say that's the, the message here is uh, get rid of all of your money. But uh, I, w- I would suggest that this parable is not about money at all. This parable is about something that had a grip on this man's heart and that Jesus went for the jugular. He said, you can keep all of these other things. They come easy to you. But there is one thing. There is one thing that you refuse to surrender to me. Uh, Greg, if you'll put that up. Uh, I, I want to put that there because uh, I, I want to ask you something, church. Do you have a one thing? Do you have a, a one thing in your life where you say to Jesus, you can have everything else, but don't ask me for this. And maybe for you, that is money. Maybe you say, Jesus, I'll do anything if you don't ask for my money. Or maybe it's something completely different. Maybe, maybe you're saying, Jesus, I'll do anything, but don't ask me to forgive that person who wronged me so badly, who hurt me so badly. Ask me for anything but that. Maybe for you it's just a step of faith that requires that you let go of control of some things. And you say, God, you can have control. Maybe that's your one thing. Church, do you have a one thing in your life where you say, Jesus, I'll give you anything else, but don't ask me for this. Because if that's you, do you know what Jesus is asking you for? Jesus wants that one thing. Jesus wants full surrender in your life. This man, the Bible says, had a one thing. He had one area in his life that he just could not give up to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus invites him to give it up and follow him, the Bible says the man walked away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, it is nearly impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And again, if Luke stopped there, we would have a different message on on wealth this morning. But Luke doesn't stop there because Jesus didn't stop there. If we move to verse 26, Jesus continued. It says, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So if we follow this storyline that we're seeing in the Gospel of Luke, what we have is warning after warning against wealth. We're given all the dangers of wealth. And then we see it in the flesh. We see a man who chooses wealth over following Jesus. And then that's followed by Jesus saying, it is really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But two crucial things happen next. First, Jesus gives us this. It's not impossible for the wealthy to follow me. He says, it may be impossible apart from God, but with God, All things are possible. The second thing that happens is it's barely 10 verses later when we have our next mention of wealth. And it looks like this. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Zacchaeus was another man 
who was known for his wealth, yet when he encountered Jesus, he said, this thing that has defined my life for so long, I give it up to you. He said, half of my possessions to the poor, and I'll pay back four times anything that I've cheated. So what we have is we have a rich young ruler who just can't let go of his wealth. And then Jesus says, what's impossible with God, uh, with man, is possible with God. And then it's 10 verses later, we're introduced to this man named Zacchaeus, a man who, who can and does let go of his wealth. And we do see in the life of Zacchaeus that all things are possible with God. What looked impossible in the life of the rich young ruler is proven possible in the life of Zacchaeus. And I love just comparing these two men uh, because I think that's, that's what we're supposed to do here. I think they're supposed to be held side by side, the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Because what we find is the rich young ruler, uh, he is esteemed and respected and Zacchaeus is despised and hated. We have uh, the, the uh, rich young ruler who is a, a keeper of the law. He says, Jesus, I have kept the entire law. And Zacchaeus is known as a sinner, a lawbreaker. But what we have in the two is the man who has kept the law all of his life turns away from Jesus Christ at the thought of giving up his money. And the man who was despised and hated and a sinner said, Jesus, I repent and I turn to you. And what we find in these two men is actually that they are the fulfillment of a parable that Jesus had just given uh, in the chapter before Zacchaeus. And we're going to look at that. Renee, if you would come. So this is the last passage this morning. Uh, it's a parable that I believe uh, they fulfill right after Jesus gives it. So it's Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Keep that there for just a minute because I think this is really funny. I think if anybody uh, were there for this moment and they were like, I was there for that, man. And then when Luke writes who the audience was, they're, they're like, maybe I wasn't there for that because I don't want to claim that that was me that was confident of my own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. But anyways, to that audience, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Remember, this is coming right before the story of Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. It says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. So this is just like the rich young ruler who said, I follow the law to a T. I do everything that's been asked of me. And then it says in verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And what we find in that last line there is the purpose of this entire narrative of the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. He's looking for those who don't exalt themselves, but humble themselves before God. It's all about the heart. And maybe you've been entrusted with riches. It's about your heart. 
Have you submitted that to God? Maybe it's not riches for you, but maybe you have another one thing that you know, I hold this back from God. I hold this bitterness and I say, God, just hands off of this. You can have everything but hands off here. And the message behind Zacchaeus is that with God, he can take that one place, that one place that is so hard to give up, and he can redeem it for the glory of God. Because he takes this place that through, throughout the Gospel of Luke, it's warnings against wealth, warnings against wealth. It's a refusal by the man to give up his wealth. But in Zacchaeus, by the power of God, he takes that one area and he redeems it for his glory. He gives it to the poor. He gives back anything he's taken. So not only is he redeeming the heart of Zacchaeus, but he is using it to serve the people around him. And that's what God can do if you will let go of that one place in your life that you're holding on to. Can you stand with me, church? Church, God can redeem every burden that you hold on to, every struggle you hold on to, those things that you, you say, uh, there's no way that God can work this for good. The Bible says he can take anything in your life and work it for good, for the good of his kingdom and the good of his glory. But what you have to do is open your hands and say, God, I give you the one thing that I've held on to. I place my faith in you and I give you this one area of my life. For some of you, it might even be your children. Where you say, God, I need to submit my own children to you and say, I, I give them to you. But I believe this morning we're supposed to let go of some things and give them over to God. And maybe it's just one thing. But if there's one thing that you are holding on to, I'm betting it's the one thing that God is asking for this morning. Uh, Father, I, I pray this morning that, first of all, if we're here, Lord, and we don't even know if we have a one thing, that your spirit would begin revealing the things in our hearts that we are clenching, that we are, we are holding on to and keeping from you, Lord. Would you shine light on those things? And I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit this morning to give them up to you. Lord, we surrender to you this morning. In Jesus' name. Church, as Renee leads us, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes and invite the Spirit of God to reveal those things to you. Is there anything that we're holding back this morning? as we leave this place that we walk out in a place of surrender to you. Not surrendering because we feel defeated, but surrendering, Lord, in jubilation because there's no greater thing that we can do with our life than surrender it completely to you. I pray you go with us this week and that we 
find you in, in our everyday, Lord, that we find opportunities to worship you and to serve others, opportunities to do good, God. We thank you for your presence and ask that you go with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, thank you so much again for being here. Um, Saturday at 8 a.m., if you can be a part of that outreach, uh, be here. It's always a good time. Uh, that's it. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.